praise the Lord, wonderful words of life. Uh, amen. Take me just a few minutes here to think about how to transition here. Um, I'm piecing together here a, a, a series that I do at Faith Builders on the Kingdom of God on a number of other things, so I kind of have to pick and choose. Uh, but I will. Uh, I think I would like to talk with you about vision. And so some of what I share with you here uh, will feel like it's not quite pertinent. I'll try to kind of skip over those and move through them fairly rapidly because they're just in the sequence here of the slides. Uh, uh, but in order to pick up the main idea that I want to share with you, I think I'll need to start right here. So from vision to reality. Um, I've heard ever since I've been a young man that uh, vision is very, very, very important. I discovered something, I don't know when, but I found out that you cannot preach vision into people. You cannot twist their arm and create vision. Uh, you, you can talk to your blue in your face, it'll make no difference. There must be some other something that lies behind vision. And that's what I'd like to share with you here. So how do you get, how do you actually move the ball forward here on some of the things we're talking about? So here's a, a series of things, and here's some pieces now. They're not going to be all that important to you. But when I'm speaking to life and leadership for men class people, I, I'm using this. So from vision, organization, management, uh, and interpersonal relationships and so on, uh, the point is even if vision is is present to actually move it from a place of vision to becoming a, a reality it does require some uh, parts and bits and pieces. I know a number of you have been involved with Mennonite Air Missions. Sheila and I were just talking about MAM on the way down here. I'm involved with the Anabaptist International Ministries. And I see you back there, Eric. God bless you. Good to have you here. Uh, but uh, so uh, Anabaptist International Ministries, uh, I, I've been involved with faith builders. Milo, you have been too. We lived through the heroic age there too, didn't we? <laughs> I use that term a little loosely there, but about back in the days when, I don't know, there was, as Milo says, no money and nothing else either. But uh, okay. But to go from vision to reality does require some parts and pieces. It doesn't just happen. But I don't want to expound on these. It's not my point this morning. But it requires organization. It requires management. Uh, it requires interpersonal. It takes people to make it happen, and good people. Um, the term alignment there, though, is a big one for me. And I know it's, yes. Uh-oh. Thank you, Milo. Why didn't you say something before? <laughs> good. Thank you. Uh, all right, so you're seeing there going across the chart, uh, organization, management, interpersonal, and then you see the word alignment there. Uh, and that's one that that is, uh, in my opinion, very, very big. There's part of the chaos in our churches, in our lives, in our families is this misalignment. It's just that it didn't, our ducks aren't in a row is the way we sometimes talk about it. Um, 
empowerment, personnel who can be trusted, Covey who writes the books, uh, Seven Habits, uh, really clear on this, and uh, I, I've come to appreciate much of what he says, says there, and one of the things he talks about is being trustworthy. He says you cannot make anything work well unless you have trustworthy people. Uh, it's just true. Uh, okay, just absolutely true. Again, not my primary point here, but uh, you can just follow along here a little bit. So that means some structure. It means job descriptions. It means uh, good recruitment. Okay, that was real quick there. That's extra here today. You can, you can ponder on that if you want to. Uh, the next slide is really the one I'd like for you to pay attention to uh, because what lies... I've got something. Oh, okay, no, this is right. So, vision of church. Notice I have this in the middle of the slide because I, what I've discovered is there's, there are parts and pieces that precede vision. I just got done telling you, you cannot just build vision in thin air. It doesn't happen. There, there are pieces that get you there. So, here's, here we go on that. Behind vision is values, vision grows out of values. Uh, and here's some pieces that I have really found helpful for myself personally. Uh, I'll just put the three right up here. That bridge between values and vision is a fascinating bridge. I'll just give you three components here for you to consider and think about on this. Because here's the thing. Consider your values here. There are values. They are culturally driven. Pure and simple. That does not mean they're bad. It just means they're culturally driven. I'll give you a clear example of this. If you come to Felsenheim Drive, which is where Sheila and I live and where my sons and I build a house and I do my little bit of farming, uh, you will see that I have a fairly large lawn and that I, I clip that thing off, I don't know, once a week or something like that. I, I keep after it fairly carefully. It has occurred to me on occasion, now why in the world do I do this? Why do I put all this time and energy into keeping, I don't know, must be a one acre, one and a half acre, maybe, I don't know, a lawn between my barn and house and all over the place like that. Uh, why do I do that? I have a friend in Poland, you know him, Eric, Jan Wierzewski, and I remember Jan just looking, talking to me one day and we're, we're in discussion. He says, I don't get it. I absolutely do not get you Americans. He, this is not the terminology used, but he said it's, it's what it amounted to. So you go out there and you play. You have this huge lawn that you plant, and you go out there and you clip that thing off uh, uh, once a week or whatever it is, and you keep it. You just keep it so high, and you just keep it clipped off. And the next week you go right back and you do the same thing again. And the next week you go right back and do the same thing again. And then the next week you put fertilizer on it. You must really like to do it because you know you got that. You just you just make it go more. More and more and more. Well, you had a good point. And here's my point to you. Why do I keep a yard like that? It is a culturally driven value. It's a Western cultural value. You know that Jan Wierzewski would never do that. He, if you looked at his yard, it's a mess. <laughs> but over here, there's a little herb, little herb garden, and over here is a couple of flowers, and there's a weed. Well, I think it's a weed, but he collects it and does something with it. I don't know what he does with it. He, he has a whole yard full of stuff like that, and he doesn't anymore now because he's a very, very old man, but he did back 10, 15 years ago. 
Clearly, I do what I do in my yard. It is Western culture and culturally driven. And I may as well just admit that to you. Rather than to make all the excuses of why I'm trying to this and trying to do that, there may be some other pieces in there. I mean, I will admit, not only admit, I'll say, I do want to be respected among my neighbors. I I understand all of that. There are those pieces also that come come into play here. But I just give it as an example of something that's clearly culturally driven. And not certainly not core value driven in terms of spiritual value, at least not in any direct manner. We see a second category. I mean, I'm gonna. I'll do the second one first. Uh, the second one, of course, is the one that I certainly hope is present in God's people, and that is principle-driven values. Uh, what are the general principles? So. You start talking about simplicity or frugality or start, I don't know, a number of the core values that may be a bit distinctive for Mennonites or for conservative Mennonites. And I surely, I'm all 100% in agreement, they had better be principle-driven. There better be some, there better be some scriptural foundations here that actually drive these values. Uh, and I just might say the larger that middle section is, the larger that driver is in our lives, the, the more focused we are on the kingdom, the more focused we are on, the, uh, I think, on the right values. Okay? Uh, and I'm just admitting to you that there's a, there's a little bit of a mixed bag here. At least I would confess and I would have a little bit of a mixed bag. But I want to let that center one grow and grow and grow here. Now, the third one is the one that I really want to get to here, particularly for young folks and for older folks, too. Um, what I have discovered about people is their values are primarily driven by their heroes. I, I don't listen. I don't, I don't know the young men here. I really just don't know them. Okay, but I do know this: if I could pick out any of them and have them stand up, and if I could actually see into their heart and discover who their heroes are, I could tell you immediately where the primary values are coming from, because that's where they come from. It's the reason why we feel a little bit of conflict internally, even I do as an historian. There, there are, there are uh, uh, people from history that I admire. They're, they're heroic. But the problem is, is that, you know, let's say it's a military hero. Okay, well, you feel that, that jerk inside because here is a hero that you are attracted to because of their their heroic characteristics, but there are pieces about the values they hold that don't that don't quite fit. And and hence you feel that jerking around internally. Well, think about a young person who is trying to sort things out. Uh, and and I, I know I'm, I'm not stupid, been around a bit. So the young folks often, particularly young men, often have some athletic hero or something of that nature. Um, okay. First of all, I'm just going to grant that there's going to be a certain range here on this type of thing. But here's all I want to say to you is you can fight to, to the death. But if the heroes remain, remain the heroes of the world, then the values will be worldly values. You always will fight that right there. You want to change the value system of a group of people, change their heroes. You want to change the values of a young person, change their heroes. You want to change your own values. Think through who you think is heroic. So, yes, sir. Amen. There you go. First thing, he's, he, I, he's got to be. Got to be there. 
I mean, you start thinking through this a little bit, and I'll just tell you why I have an issue with professional athletics. It's immoral. There's something dramatically, drastically wrong with a civilization, with a culture who will pay a man $10 million and another man $10 million to step into a ring and beat each other to a pulp. There's something dramatically wrong with the values if they'll do that, but they cannot pay their teachers enough to keep good. I'm talking public education. I'm not talking about Christian education. Can't pay their teachers enough to keep good teachers in the schools. Something is wrong at the core value, at the center of things. Uh, It's immoral. It just is not right. And that's the reason those of you who know me a little bit know that I I love playing basketball. I mean, I used to. (laughs) Uh, Athletics have been been something that I enjoy doing. I really do. Uh, And I can admire people who... You know, I've been doing a little long-distance running these days with my sons. They like to run and a few things like that. Uh, okay, so I could, I enjoy that type of thing. Don't hear me at all taking a shot at that. Uh, I, I think, can I just drop in an incidental here? Sorry about this. I, it just happens to me. I go off on a trail. But um, I, I want to actually laud one core value that is changing in our community that the young people are carrying the ball on. They care about more about their health and the food they eat than many of our way overweight, older generation. That's a good change. That's an appropriate change. Uh, it certainly is. I, it just seems to me as though there we're seeing a bit of a shift that is a good one. So lest you think that all I'm harping on all of the changes that I feel pretty negative about, there are some that, and maybe more than I can do, that have been good, and we ought to build on them. They should be core, core values. We should learn not to be people who just eat and eat and eat and eat until we are fill in the blank. <clears throat> but I just want you to see that without trying to unpack that value issue even more here, I'm just wanting you to see that vision flows out of values. You can't switch them around. Well, I shouldn't say you can't switch them around. They feed each other in some ways. Uh, We have to pay attention and ask ourselves hard questions at the value level. Now, let me go just a little bit further with that. Uh, When I'm talking about this with church leaders, then I, I show this to them. So... I'm going to guess that you can look at this list here. Some of you in this congregation, you care more about foreign missions than others. Some of you care about education. I obviously do. And I put an awful lot of my, poured my life in right there. Okay. Some of you may be about children's ministries. I've been amazed at the, at the interest in children's ministries. I, I feel, I feel uh, positive about that. In my generation, it was prison ministries. We didn't think so much about children. We were going to prisons. Okay, so Sheila and I were deeply involved there uh, at one level, at one time in our life. Publishing, prison ministries that I just could then mention, kingdom business. This is another shift that I have seen in our generation, which I think is a good one. Uh, Gary Miller is a personal friend of mine. Some of you read some of his books. 
and, and maybe even know him personally as well. Um, uh, Cam's work there, uh, Salt, AF's work. Uh, I'm on board there. Uh, we should not separate that out. That should not be some something separate. We need vision for that. Vision about how we are actually going to steward the resources that God has given to us. Uh, now, but here's my point. Uh, what I wanted to point out to you is we should expect a plethora of emphases in a particular congregation and should be careful not to think that my vision is the most important one. Because remember, vision flows out of values. Okay? And so you, you find a person, uh, some of the young folks in our younger families in our congregation, uh, they're very, very much on board with uh, uh, adopting children. Okay? They're, from what I can tell, this is a this is a good path, but it's it's fraught with lots of questions and difficult things. And I, I would to God that we would learn what to do there, because it is true that we are living in a fatherless generation, and I can just feel the value there rising in me. It's a, who in the world is going to do something about the fatherless generation that has arisen? Uh, and we see them all around us. Okay, be careful not to fight each other, recognizing that. Vision grows out of value, and it has specific uh, ways in which it, uh, it, it is expressed. We, none of us can do everything. Uh, hardly any of us can even do one of these partway, but we're trying to. Uh, and so and I would just encourage you to, to think about values and move it forward. Think about the values of your young people and what it takes to, to build on that. I'll finish here in just a moment. Before values, it's not actually before values, but what are the value builders? And I'll give you a few here. Uh, the two, or the one that I think is the most powerful is story. Why? Well, because it's the story that forms our heroes, and it's the heroes that forms our, that forms our values. That I, that, that re, yeah, that forms our values, and our vision grows out of values. And so... I, if I were giving a, a presentation here to parents, I would ask you very quickly, so what stories are told? I'll give you one example. I sat in a, uh, a group of men one time. I was just a 20-year-old. Sheila and I maybe had a, we did have a child at that time. And so we're thinking about uh, raising families and this type of thing. And uh, here's a deacon sitting in that group. A man I respect, I still do. He's dead and gone now. Uh, it, it, it's, so I don't, want to hear, I don't want you to hear a lot of disrespect, but I do want you to hear some disappointment here sat in that group, and I heard that man tell a story about how when he was young, that, that uh, he had, well, I don't think he was involved, but a friend of his or so on, the policemen were after him, but boy, I tell you what, he just, he tore into, and he laid, he got the, he laid rubber, and he tore out of there, and I mean, the police never caught him. It was told in such a fashion that the guy who was driving the muscle machine, you know, some of us grew up in that area, the guy who, who was driving the muscle machine was a hero, and the policeman was a villain. Mistake. Mistake. The story could have been told differently. Could have been told in such a fashion that the policeman was doing what he was asked to do as he was called under God to do that, or he was appointed by God. If that was, that was his job, and here was a fellow who ran away, and he did get away, but you, he could have just said he got away for a time, you know, but he really didn't get away with anything. Truth is, that will catch up to him by and by. 
Okay, I'm just saying, I remember feeling disappointed. I was glad I didn't have a growing 60-year-old son sitting there listening. Because his, his sense of the heroes in his world were being shaped by the stories that are being told by the older folks and how they're being told and how they're being emphasized and so forth and so on. Story carries a tremendous amount of freight. And it's one of the reasons I'm so excited about some of our publishers who are pulling in stories and beginning to, 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 to create stories. I'll, I'll finish with one I love to tell. What do I have there? 1131. I should finish here soon, not feel. I'm going to. Um, sometimes it's the simple stories that really should be told. I'm going to tell you two of them. One of my heroes is my brother-in-law. I won't give his name, but you probably, some of you might. I don't doubt any of you know him. Good man from total non-Mennonite background. Uh, came to know the Lord, came to our church, joined our church, married my sister. My sister got multiple, scor- oh, a millionaire. And when I say a millionaire, his only child and his dad was very, very, very wealthy. World at his fingertips. Married my sister. Uh, my sister got multiple sclerosis, oh boy, in her 30s. She died here just not more than a year, two years ago, a year ago, whatever. Real, real recent. And I've been talking with my brother-in-law. But throughout those years, he built a house. He, he had the finances to do this. He built a house specifically for her. He quit his job. And 24-7, he cared for my sister in all the details that it took to be caring for my sister right up to the day of her death. That's what he did. I saw him carry her in his arms. Into church, into family gatherings, and various places, and so forth. He's a hero. He's one of my heroes. And I want to tell that story to my grandchildren. And if I live long enough, I want to tell it to my great-grandchildren. Okay, why? I want them to have heroes like that. Milo, you know Marvin Zook in our community. They're up there. He's another one I could tell the story. He's a hero. But I have to tell one about dear sister Eva, who is in our community. Uh, She's now 94 years old from the Pentecostal background and through various avenues, uh, came to come to our congregation. And uh, so she's not a member there, but she's been coming there faithfully for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And uh, we've kind of put our arms around her and blessed her in that way. But her story, story is amazing. She lived, grew up in the days of, of not slavery days, but the days of the sharecroppers here in the South. And so worked very hard, almost under slave conditions uh, with her family. I'm not quite sure what there, Alabama, I think, but I don't remember for sure. I ended up there in Meadville. And uh, by her own uh, account, lived a very wicked life up until 30 years of age. Came to know the Lord uh, and was married. Her husband, I don't remember the years now, but at a certain point her husband decided to 
not to decide to be, became involved in an adul adulterous relationship with, a, with a, another woman there in Meadville uh, while living at home. So he would leave and come home uh, at, at you know, 1 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And a sister even knew this lady. And he said, I, she told me, she said, I remembered one evening, one night, very clearly saying to myself, you know, Sister Eva, you need to kill that man. Just get a gun, and when he comes home tonight, shoot him. And she said, I contemplated it, and I, after a while I said, the love of Christ constrains me. No, I cannot do that. The story doesn't end there. The girlfriend gets cancer. She's dying. Husband asks Sister Eva, would you care for this lady? And Sister Eva says, yes, I will care for this lady. By her testimony, that lady came to know the Lord before she died. And then, sure enough, her husband got cancer too. And she cared for him before he died. And he also made things right before the Lord according to her testimony, as we understand it. These are heroes. These are local heroes. These are people that go to church with us. These are people that I grew up with. These are people, I've talked about a person who is, why are the heroes always out there somewhere? They're among us. Do you know that? I know all of you have had moments of when you shone, you stood up for the Lord. And I know we don't trumpet that around. I'm just saying, let that happen over and over again, and let us learn how to, how to properly exalt the heroes among us that we know, that we can touch. I promise you, if I, know, if I understand human experience at all, these kinds of things are the pieces that lie behind creating culture. Create a culture, build a hero. Build a hero, make your culture. That's the message that I'm sharing with you. Let's pray together. Father, pause here a moment. And again, I, you've heard our many words. And again, I pray by your good and Holy Spirit, take what was spoken that is true and use it well in the minds and hearts of each of us. Lord, I pray, discard the rest. Help us to be faithful in our generation. Help us to see with clarity. Help us to be humble. Help us to love you in our fellow man. And as the brother here in the back of the room said, Lord, we truly lift up the hero of heroes. The one on whom our eye must rest. The Lord Jesus. And I pray that our lives will become continually like him. And it is, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen.